Jiminy Crickets. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'm a happy-go-lucky fellow. Always getting in wrong for singing my song. A merry old soul am I. Jiminy Cricket is the name. I'll be hanging around this evening. I'll be tipping my hat and telling you that Jiminy Cricket is the name. Aloha, Ikoma Mai. Vehini Mekuni Mana, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 97 of the Jiminy Crickets podcast. How are you doing, Ruth? I'm doing great, Chris. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And the big wahini, Wendell Jones, is with us this week. How are you doing, Mr. Jones? Aloha. My name is Wendell. <laughs> Natives call me the Curly Blonde Wonder. <laughs> I'm doing great, thanks. <laughs> yes. Happy to be here. How are you guys doing? Great. Fantastic. We're happy to have you. Yes. Welcome back to the Jiminy Crickets podcast. Yeah. How long's it been since the last show? Oh gosh, I a year? No, not a year. It what was, was the last October. One? Oh, what was the topic the last time? It was you Nightmare were on? Before Christmas. That's right. What's this? What's this? Anyway, this week we invited Wendell because we're going to be actually talking about his favorite Disney attraction. What attraction is that, Wendell? Pirates of the... No. (laughs) Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Yes. And it's actually celebrating its 55th anniversary this year. It opened in June of 1963. What were you doing in 1963, Wendell? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of something funny. I have nothing. Weren't you reincarnated? I wasn't even a conception. In fact, my parents weren't even born then, I don't think so. Oh my goodness. <laughs> But before we get to our exciting main topic, we have a very special announcement. Traveler's checks. Credit cards. Credit cards. Passport. Passport. Baggage tags. Baggage tags. Fill it up. Do it all. Happy trip. Have a ball. All ashore, it's going ashore. Oh, Well, Cricketeers, the Jiminy Crickets podcast is excited to announce an all-new partnership with Concierge Vacation Planners. Concierge is a Disney-only specialty vacation planning service. They don't just book your vacation, they walk beside you through the entire process, from analyzing and picking out the right dates to effectively utilizing your fast passes. They will help you with every detail. The amount of time that your personal vacation planner will spend with you, one-on-one, 
planning out every stage of your Disney vacation is amazing. Mike and his behind-the-scenes team do a phenomenal job, and we are excited to endorse Concierge for all the Disney travel planning needs of our Jiminy Crickets podcast listeners. So if you are starting the early planning process for your next Disney vacation, be it Walt Disney World, Disneyland, the Disney Cruise Line, Adventures by Disney, or many of the other Disney locations available, why not give Concierge a call? They are an authorized Disney vacation planner, and here is the amazing part. They charge nothing for their services. You get the exact same pricing as if you called Disney yourself or booked through the Disney online portal. But in using Concierge expertise and Concierge level service, you have the added bonus of a personal Disney guru planner by your side. And I can't recommend them enough. You can check them out at www.concierge.com. That's www.concierge.com. Like in mouse ears. You can also find them on all the social media platforms and link to them directly from my website, disneychris.com. Concierge is now the official Disney vacation planner's of the Jiminy Crickets podcast and DisneyChris.com and we hope you will check them out. So remember to go to Concierge Travel for all your Disney travel needs and tell them that Jiminy Crickets sent you. You know, the same scientific equipment that guides rockets to the moon is used to make Jose and his little friends in the tiki room sing, talk, move, and practically think for themselves. I guess you could call him a creature of the space age. But why don't we let Jose speak for himself down at Disneyland? Show the folks what goes on behind the scenes. Buenos dias, senor and senoritas. How do you do down there? Ah, hello, ah. It is showtime now in Walt Disney's enchanted tiki room. Hurry, hurry to tiki room. Tikis make drum go boom. Magic is happening. All the birds and flowers sing. Better come see this thing. Walt Disney's enchanted tiki room. Come to the tiki room. Hurry to the tiki room. Now, friends, before we see the show, I take you behind the scene for a few moments. The whole show runs from this room. That fellow is Troubleshooter. He is the electric engineer, also a veterinarian for all the Tiki Room actors. Maybe you would like to see how everything works, okay? Water power here goes through the pipes and runs the magic fountain. Here is the air system. Pump the air for the lifelike movement. Here is now the electric power. This is the big boss. He directs everything. Brain of big boss is here. It is called programmer. Inside is running the tape. It tells us when to talk, sing, and even to breathe. This is muscle assisting all kinds of relays on this panel. 
They make the cockatoo head turn left and right, make the flower to open and the tiki god sing. And here is a special thing to make coffee. Come now to the other side, it is easy to understand. Audio AC rectified to pulsating DC, drives a solenoid in the bird beaks, the flower mouse, and the etc. in the cho. The flashing light means everything is going a-okay. The buzzer, uh-oh, the show is going to start. Come along, amigos, you gotta find a good seat. Jose, wake up, it's showtime. This week, as mentioned, we're going to be talking about Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room, which opened in June of 1963 to a raving press review. The press couldn't say enough good things about it. It was it was impressive and unlike anything anybody had ever seen before. In fact, even though the term audio animatronics was used prior to this presentation, it really is the first time that this technology was really put to use in its full capacity. And a lot of people get confused about what audio animatronics really is and what that means because people think, oh, it's because it's called audio because the characters talk. So they create audio. That's actually not why the word audio is used. It's because originally this technology used audio impulses on tape to cause the robotics to move. So they recorded all of the movements on magnetic tape using audio impulses that the robotics responded to and moved accordingly. So a bunch of bleeps, bloops, blops, and blopes made the different characters move. So you could record a whole program and repeat it over and over because it was all on magnetic tape. And this was actually a technology developed by NASA. And Walt Disney often said that his audio animatronics were true creatures of the space age because it used space age technology to operate the system. Today, of course, it doesn't use magnetic tape and audio impulses. It's a little more digitally operated in today's uh, high-tech world. But back then, in the early 60s, that was state-of-the-art. Recording bleeps, blops, and bloops on magnetic reel-to-reel tape. (laughs) So, where did the Enchanted Tiki Room start what are its origins where did it come from well really honestly it all started back in the 1930s because walt disney created several animated shorts involving birds as far back as uh the um very first mickey mouse short had a talking parrot in it in the um, Steamboat Willie. There's a parrot that taunts Mickey when he's forced to peel potatoes. And the parrot laughs at him and Mickey throws a 
peeled potato at him and the bird crashes into the river. (laughs) So Walt Disney's involvement with birds started very early and birds were a regularly featured element in many Walt Disney shorts during the Silly Symphony era. There was uh, several bird-themed cartoons that definitely you can see if you watch these old shorts you can see how they they drew from these shorts to influence what they did with the tiki room there's a short called birds of spring there's one called birds of a feather several bird themed silly symphonies and even when he started creating feature length animated films birds were very involved especially if you look at snow white the whole whistle why you work segment is filled with birds so obviously walt disney and his animators had a fascination with birds from the early beginnings when walt disney had a nervous breakdown in the early 40s his doctor instructed him to travel and get away from the studio as much as possible. And he would take his wife Lillian on many different uh, outings across the world. One of the favorite places that he would go to would be New Orleans. And he went there several times with Lillian. One time he went into an antique store and he saw this mechanical bird in a cage and he was so impressed with the animation and this was an antique I think it was you know something from the 19th century and he was so impressed with it that he purchased it and he brought it back with him and he actually kept it in his office for many years and um, when they started to develop ideas to expand Adventureland in the early 60s they were thinking about having some sort of a tea room and Walt Disney asked John Hench famous Disney Imagineer to draw up some ideas for a little tea room where people could sit down and have snacks and drink tea in sort of a tropical type environment and he sort of put birds throughout his little illustrations, his concept renderings. And honestly, John Hench was thinking of having actual living birds in, in, this, um, in this tea room. And Walt Disney looked at his concepts and he said, no, no, we can't have birds because they'll poop on the food. <laughs> so... John quickly thought on his feet and said, oh, no, 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 they're stuffed birds. And then he said, and then they move. They're mechanical. And it was all on the fly. He just threw that out there to save his concept, basically, and defend it to Walt. And that intrigued Walt. And that reminded him of his own little mechanical birds in the cage. And He said, and I believe he said this at one point to Imagineer Harriet Burns, that if they could build 
something as sophisticated as this back in the 1800s. Just imagine what we could do with the technology that we have access to today. And that was what led to the Tiki Tea Room concept. And it was all originally going to be a dining location. And it was up until towards the, you know, the very end of developing this, it was always planned as a place for people to eat. And the show was so good that at the last minute, Walt said, no, we can't do this because people won't leave. They'll stay. They'll never leave. Well, we won't be able to get enough people in here. So they decided to turn it into a, a show instead. Originally, the working title was the Tiki Tea Room. And then eventually they started calling it Legends of the Enchanted Tiki. And they finally settled on Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Yeah, wasn't there a restaurant in Los Angeles called the Tiki Room? And that was the reason why they called it Walt Disney? Well, that's why they added room? Enchanted. And, that's and they then add, they okay. called Walt Disney's because he was actually the original owner and sponsor of it. Mm. Right, exactly. So I know that they had originally planned to create a Chinese restaurant off of Center Street. So, which would make it kind of backed up to where the Plaza restaurant was at the time. Right. And one of the ideas that they were going to put in there was a Confucius, I guess I'll just say audio animatronic, and that was going to be able to interact with customers and, you know, give like, you know, some, you know, sayings that Confucius would say, you know, things like that. Right. And there was also going to be two dragon statues that would kind of interact with each other and with the Confucius right. statue as well. Man who pee and wind often have wet leg. <laughs> <laughs> See, everything came out of one thing, which is really interesting. Lincoln and Tiki Room both were influenced by this even earlier idea of the Confucius. And yes, originally, that complex, which became Tiki-themed, they were kind of thinking of going with an Asian theme, a Chinese theme, in its earlier incarnation. So that whole complex where the Tiki Room now is would have been an Asian area called um, Chinatown. Anyway, they were going to have a Chinese restaurant, and yes, they'd have a statue with very limited animation, They'd have a live actor off stage was their original thinking who would interact with the people eating and give words of wisdom. And then later they thought they'd have it all recorded and they actually recorded Wally Bogue doing several of the um, little dialogues that he would have said. And this is something that it exists but Disney has it deeply hidden in the vaults because it's extremely racist. <laughs> it's Wally Bogue doing a very racist imitation of a Chinese person. But anyway, that being said, I'm kind of glad they didn't end up doing the um, that because Disney would have been held accountable for it today by today's standards had they gone in that direction. Right. One less thing to criticize Disney about. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, yeah, so 
that was originally, you know, their thinking, and then that evolved into, well, let's, like, keep it more tropical and do more of a Polynesian-themed area, and they kind of moved over it instead of developing the Confucius figure, they started developing the Lincoln figure, which took notes from what they had researched in the Confucius thing, and so they all kind of sprung out, you know, in different directions, different branches into all sorts of other different projects. And actually, the Tahitian Terrace was all developed at the same time as the Tiki Room. Originally, they were going to have three restaurants all in one complex, all sponsored by Stouffer's. They would have the Plaza Pavilion, they would have had the Tea Room, and Tahitian Terrace. But they ended up just having the two restaurants and then the attraction, the Tiki Room, in the middle. That is why, and we talked about this in our last episode, there's actually restrooms right next to the entrance to the Tiki Room in a very odd location because, I mean, up until the last minute, they were really going to make this a restaurant. That was their full intention. And so they actually had to have restrooms right there to service the restaurant. And the fountain the tiki fountain in the center of the room was actually a coffee station and it actually the panels would open up and there were shelves in there to store coffee and other things of that nature and it was left like i mean it was still that when it was the attraction you could open it up and there was storage in there originally meant for when it was a restaurant and the seating the chairs that you sat in originally they were the chairs that were built for the tables and instead of using them as the regular you know chairs for tables they lined them up all in rows and molded them together welded them together um, and they used the same seats they had originally planned for you know when it was going to be a restaurant to sit in and watch the show so, I mean, that's how last minute it became a show instead of a restaurant. I mean, it was really going to be a restaurant. No kidding. Yeah. So, hey, just a couple things about the whole tiki theme, how that kind of came up was that so Hawaii became a state in 1959. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, there was a big surge of trying to promote travel to Hawaii. And then also there was, you know, during World War II, of course, there were people stationed in Hawaii. And a lot of the men that came back from there were bringing all of this tiki culture back with them and talking about it to different people. So that kind of spurred like the whole tiki culture around the same time as this attraction. Right. Backyard luau's were huge back then. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't. I, I knew that it was a big thing, but I didn't really know why. So that answers that. <laughs> right, because Americans were, you know, tiki crazy at that time because Hawaii was a brand new state and it was all exciting culturally at that time. Hawaiian shirts were all the rage too. Everybody was wearing Hawaiian shirts and the Beach Boys and all that stuff. So it was a big Women deal. Women were wearing moo-moos. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, the tiki bars were everywhere. Yep. And it was especially popular on the West Coast because 
you had a lot of Japanese immigrants in California, and they had sort of a connection with Hawaii as well, because they had, they were, you know, Hawaii is kind of halfway between Japan and the United States, and so Japanese have a fondness for Hawaiian culture as well. So it was all kind of brought to fruition in that era from, I guess, I'd say the mid-40s up to the mid-60s. That was all the rage. It's kind of the Americanized version of Polynesian culture. Yeah. And, you know, it kind of waned for several years, but it's back in force again these days. That whole pseudo-Hawaiian culture, Polynesian, American-style culture has come back in popularity. And fortunately, the Tiki Room survived during the era when it was sort of passe because everything old is new again. And now that whole Tiki culture thing is hot and it's trendy and everybody's into it again. And so it's awesome to have that, you know, that very kitschy mid-century show still running in its original form to this day. It's yes. popular again. Yeah, I'm with them. I'm wearing a moo-moo right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have on my Bermuda shorts and my lay. Anyway. <laughs> and I have a flower in my hair. Anyway. <laughs> so the original um, show was all sort of planned out and developed while it was still going to be a restaurant. And it was very similar and close to the version that we have today. But there were a couple things missing from the original version. And it was actually all recorded and it was ready to be, you know, implemented. In fact, they did a mock-up at the Disney studio and they showed it to several Imagineers in its original planned format. I actually have the audio for that original version.
some differences from the the version of the tiki room we know today first of all there's no mc birds 
that that was an idea that came along when they decided to turn it into a, sh a show. Originally, the show was just going to start while the audience was eating, and all of a sudden, the lights would dim, and the birds would come to life, and they would start singing the Barcarolle song, which, unfortunately, is no longer part of the show today, the modern version of the show. But it was a classical piece that was part of the original soundtrack of the Tiki Room. And that was how the show was going to start. Followed by Let's All Sing Like the Birdies Sing. And then the show would end with the Hawaiian War Chant. Which is exactly, you know, the, the songs and the ordering of the final version that we know today. But there was going to be no jokes between the songs. It was just going to be three pieces of music with the birds singing. And um, it would just kind of start with the lights fading out and end after the war chant and the lights would come back on. And that was basically it. But when they decided to turn it into a show, they needed to kind of make it more of a show with a beginning, middle, and end. So Walt Disney showed the show to Richard and Robert Sherman in the, the way it was mocked up in the studio. And Richard Sherman said, it's, it's good, but what is it? <laughs> and Walt Disney said to him, that's your job. You're going to explain what it is to the audience. So he um, kind of recruited the Sherman brothers to write an opening number for the show. And this was well after the rest of the show had already been developed. It was orchestrated by legendary composer George Bruns, and it was all already pretty much planned out. But um, so one of the other things that the Sherman brothers mentioned was they should have a MC bird to introduce all the acts. And Walt Disney said, that's a great idea, but let's have four. Let's have four birds, and they can each be from a different nationality. So that's how they came up with the four birds. One of them is Mexican, one of them is French, one is German, and one... Irish. What's the other? And, and Irish. Irish, right. So that's how that happened. And that's how they wrote the song in the Tiki 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 Room. And Ruth, what what was what did they draw upon as inspiration to write that Calypso number we all know and love? Well, Richard was kind of playing around as they were talking with well, Richard and Robert were talking with Walt and you know, and he was remembering that he had recently written a song about the Swiss family Robinson for a recent TV special. Right. And they wrote a Calypso song about the the movie. And right. if you listen to it, it the chorus sounds very close to the Tiki Room song. And so right. he kind of took that idea and he liked the fact that Calypso type music would go along with the Tiki theme as well. Right. So it's called The Swiss Family Calypso, and it's kind of a fun song because if you listen to it, it tells the entire behind-the-scenes production of The Swiss Family Robinson all in a song with a calypso rhythm. Oh. 
Tobago is a beautiful tropic isle Where the people are happy and the wear a smile But we learn that the main occupation Is dancing the limbo in the noonday sun Oh, the people of Tobago enjoy their fun They never shrug when there's work to be done And a lot of work was heading our way Making the movies and the overtime pay Cause the Swiss family Robinson Company Was brought to Tobago by Walt Disney Loaded down with necessities they would use Microphone lights and camera crews Oh yes my friends we had a lot of fun Making Swiss family Robinson Yes my friends we had a lot of fun Making Swiss family Robinson The folks of the island were glad to be Part of Walt Disney's company Where the trucks couldn't go The people got And they changed the jungle to a movie lot When the actors arrive on location They said it isn't work, it's a vacation They like what they saw and they said it's nice Why it's an escape to paradise John Mills came from London so he could be The father of the famous Swiss family And Hollywood's Dorothy Maguire's his wife In the Swiss family Robinson's adventurous life There's Janet Monroe and James MacArthur And again from England there is Cecil Parker Cecil Hayakawa from far off Japan And there is Tommy Kirk and Kevin Cochran They were passing our story for animals too So we had to import a tropical zoo But to work in our movie they had to be members of the animal equity the shark did not want to cooperate but we offered him a little more bait Then his agent said, you better take the deal It's an excellent path and you are in the first reel The work proceeded at a rapid pace We were setting up equipment all over the place But even on location there is one rule The younger generation must go to school But school and Tobago is such happiness Where else can you have such a happy recess? Oh yes, my friend, we had a lot of fun Just like Swiss family Robinson a terrible wreck so we heap a lot of wreckage all over the deck while back on the beach we were busy too making up the actors and the pirate crew
The animal actors were ready to float The donkey and the pigs and the billy goat The cow and the geese and the chickens too Were patiently awaiting the director's cue Actors took their places on a floating raft. The director said, get ready to be photographed. The camera crew was ready on a platform high, but the tropic storm was brewing high in the sky. They, they forgot on Tobago, though it's nice and warm. Every day you get a visit from a friendly storm. Bringing lightning, thunder, and a raging sea. Oh, just how friendly can a hurricane be? Oh yes, my friend, we had a lot of fun Making Swiss family Robinson Yes, my friends, we had a lot of fun Making Swiss family Robinson When the sun came out, it was time to begin Cleaning up all the things that the storm blew in We cleared away the rubbish and the awful mess As we say in the trade, that's show business We replanted the flowers and the shrubbery And we put back the blossom on the banyan tree We replace all the charms of the coconut palms With brand new coconuts and brand new arms Our wreck was nearly ruined from the wind and rain So we had to put new wreckage on the deck again Then we anchored it with cables to Tobago Bay To be sure that our wreck would never sail away At last we were ready to shoot once more The very first scene we almost started before Everyone took his place and we were ready to go We had a job to do, so on with the show Lights, action, camera and let her roll A great motion picture was everyone's goal So you see my friends, it was a lot of fun Making Swiss family Robinson Yes, my friends, we had a lot of fun Spending Walt Disney's five million So, you can definitely tell that this song was the inspiration behind the enchanted Tiki 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 Room song. They should play that at the treehouse. <laughs> I'd love to hear that going If out. it was still Swiss Family yeah, Robinson. Going... <laughs> oh, at Walt Disney World, maybe. Yeah. Edward, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, and just a quick note on that original audio. I'm, I'm so glad you shared that with me because um, it's one of those, aside from just being a blast from the past, I think it's kind of great uh, background music. And it always feels like a massive insult when I say that. I should say rather it's great music to be played in the background. Right. <laughs> But it's so good to hear those versions without the, the, the lyrics. It's kind of a... A whistling workout, mm -hmm. if you will, if you're whistling along to it. But it is nice to hear the origins of the show. And it's actually really nice to hear that it didn't change that much. The kind of framework, the structure of it was still was there from the beginning, which is kind of what I found most fascinating about right. it. Right. It is interesting. And it's interesting to hear the original version and hear the differences. I think another thing that happened when they 
they added the Tiki Room song is they decided to jazz it up a little bit because the original version is a little more mellow. And when you hear the, the final mm-hmm. version, it's got a little bit more beat to it. Mm-hmm. Pizzazz, Pizzazz to kind of yeah. match the whole <laughs> fun of the opening number. Yeah, like you said, it's a show, so it needs yeah, to Yeah, when it was a dinner movie. show, you could have mellow because people are kind of dining and just, you know, it's kind of in the background. But when it's the main focal point, you want it to be a little bit more spicy. <laughs> a little more pizzazz. Yeah, it depends what dinner you have, right. I guess. If it's a barbecue, right. bring it on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the Imagineers, the amazing who's who of Disney Imagineering involved in the development of the show. We already mentioned the songwriters, Richard and Robert Sherman, and the inevitable George Bruns, who composed the amazing, amazing, unmatched musical score for this show. And one of the the big people involved in the early development we also mentioned, and that was... um, John Hench, who kind of came up with the whole look of what became the Tiki Room and his early concepts. Another early person involved was Mark Davis, who also was involved in the concepts. And he kind of came up with the look to a great degree of how the birds would look. They look very realistic, but they have a cartoon touch to them. A very subtle, Disney-looking touch so they don't quite look like real birds they definitely look like characters but they're close enough to real birds that you think of them as real birds it's a really great subtle thing that uh, mark davis did in his uh talented and infinite wisdom that he has now the script when they brought in the idea of having the four mc birds to a great degree, was written by Wally Bogue, who was also the main uh, MC bird, Jose, in the show. But in addition to Wally Bogue, they also had Fulton Burley, who was another voice of one of the birds, and Marty Sklar was a contributing writer, and Larry Clemens, who was a contributing writer. And Larry Clemens is a name you'll see in a lot of classic when you're watching the opening credits of a lot of classic disney animated films you'll see his name he was involved in a lot of the script writing for the animated features at disney he was brought on as a contributing writer and i guess they all kind of went into a room and wrote all this together kind of in a you know i'm thinking if you've ever seen the um laughter on the 23rd floor that play kind of like, you know, a, 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 a writing session with these, you know, funny people all kind of adding their their punchlines and jokes together. Um, so that's how the show was written. Just a bunch of talented people in a smoke-filled room <laughs> <laughs> writing, writing jokes. <laughs> I think that's evident. I think that's present. You can hear that. Yeah, it feels very improvised. Yeah, it? and so, it sounds very mid-century. Mm. The humor... Yeah. The the pace, it's all very, you know, very, um, what's that show about the advertising? 
from the early Mad Men? 60s. Yeah, very Mad Men in its humor. Yeah. <laughs> and you and how they you could tell they are all like kind of playing off of each other because that's how the birds interact is they right. play off of each other's jokes and stuff like that. Right. And so the actual three-dimensional work on the show you can give full credit basically i mean there's there's several people but there are three standouts that were involved in the actual building of the show and that would be blaine gibson who pretty much sculpted all of the birds and several of the tiki's about 20 percent of the tiki's including um, the, the big tiki tree in the front, which we'll talk about in a minute. And Raleigh Crump, who was heavily involved in the pre-show and pretty much sculpted 80% of the tiki's, all of the tiki's in the, in the pre-show area, and basically the vast majority of the tiki statues you see inside the main show as well. And then... Big shout-outs go to Harriet Burns, who actually was charged with feathering and decorating all of the, the birds with um, real feathers, and she was just kind of the plumage expert. And there's an interesting story, because one of the things Walt wanted in his audio-animatronic birds was he wanted them to breathe. Ruth, you know that story. Yeah. So she was trying to figure out what type of material she could use that would convey this breathing on the birds and so that people would be able to see it. Right. And, and withstand she, the constant movement right. without ripping. Yeah. And she tried a whole bunch of different things and they weren't working. And one day she was watching Walt speak and he had on his one of his Uncle Walt sweaters his one of his favorite cardigans and she watched his elbow move and how the cardigan was actually you know bending and flexing to his movement and she thought well why don't I try that and so she you know she had somebody run and get her some material and she basically designed her own fabric from that idea to use on the birds right cashmere it's actually cashmere that they used so that it could stretch and the breathing could be constantly going millions of times before having to replace it. <laughs> it would have to be something expensive, wouldn't it? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I, I like the idea that it comes from animals. You know, it comes from, from goats and being used from, for birds. I think that's, that's a nice touch, but yeah. Right. Also involved with Harriet, kind of under Harriet, under her supervision, were Leota Tombs that we all know from Haunted Mansion fame. She also was involved in dressing the birds. And uh, Glendra Von Kessel, another great Imagineer. And for those who say that uh, there were no uh, Disney women allowed to have high-level jobs at Disney, um, look to these three incredible women that were very much involved in Imagineering. And uh, you can also look to Mark Davis's wife, Alice Davis, who was a great Imagineer. And um, poo-poo all the naysayers. Because Disney was ahead of his time as far as having top-level women working in his company. 
Um, and anybody who says otherwise, they don't know the whole story. So, of course, you can't have an audio animatronic show without audio animatronics. So who was uh, kind of involved in the whole development of that technology, Ruth? So the three Imagineers were Waithel Rogers, Roger Brogy, and of course Bob Gurr. So they all kind of worked together to create the mechanics. They had to fit the mechanics actually inside the birds that, you know, that Harriet was making the plumage for. And she had to create like an opening so that they could fit these mechanics inside the birds. Right. And then they also, you know, worked on programming the huge computer that ran the show back in the 60s, which was like rooms and rooms of computers. Yeah, refrigerator-sized computers. In fact, right. all of the computers were located underneath the actual theater, and it had to be air-conditioned because they couldn't overheat. So this was actually the reason why the Tiki Room was Disneyland's first fully air-conditioned attraction, which was a great selling point during the hot California summer weather. <laughs> In fact, the MC bird at, you know, the Barker bird, he would actually say, you know, they had a Barker bird out front and he would say, and the show is air conditioned. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we kind of went over the origins and the development of the attraction, why don't we visit the attraction itself and go through what you see and some of the fun facts and things that are involved with the original show. So, first of all, originally walked up to the Enchanted Tiki Room, there was no Barker Bird, we mentioned him before. But Walt Disney and his Imagineers and people working in the park were putting out questionnaires. They still do this today, but they were doing it back then and asking people about, you know, what their thoughts and opinions were on the show. And one of the things that people commented on was that they didn't really understand what the show was until they went in and saw it. And some people suggested they put one of the birds outside so that people would know what the show would be, what to expect on the inside. And this was important because actually the show required a separate admission. It wasn't included in the ticket books, and it was the most expensive thing to see at Disneyland at that time. The e-ticket price for an individual e-ticket at that time was 50 cents. Well, the Enchanted Tiki Room was 75 cents a ticket, and you had to pay for it at the door. It wasn't included in your ticket book. So, they had to sell it. They had to give people reason to see this more expensive show. So what did they do, Ruth? Well, they added the Barker Bird. And what they did was they took a macaw, actually one of the ones from the a little bit farther back in the show. So he was slightly smaller than the four main birds. Uh -huh. And they put him outside. And so he they programmed him to, you know, speak in kind of show everybody what these birds actually did inside the show. So his name is Juan, and he is Jose's cousin. And he was voiced by Wally Bogue. Mm -hmm. And so he would basically, just throughout the day, just be, you know, having different sayings and things like that. Telling and, jokes. Yeah. And then just kind of 
It almost seemed like he was calling out to the people as they were walking by and you know people would just stop and and listen to everything that he was saying and it caused quite a jam in front of the tiki room. Buenos dias. Buenos dias in Caramba. Up here I am. Wake up down there. I have a few thousand things in my feather brain to tell you about Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. It is the most amazing show in Disneyland. The birds tell jokes, the flowers sing, the tikis chant, and it is air conditioned. <laughs> Excuse me, I am allergic to feathers. Um diddle 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 dum di um diddle 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 yum di I'm super color fragile uh super fragile cow uh Super cauliflower? Um, super, super, super California show? You see, I cannot say super califragilistic expialidocious. I guess I'm really a feather brain. Back to business. Walt Disney's califragilistic enchanted tiki room. Get your expialidocious tickets right here. Walking while I'm squawking. Aloha! It is time for me to tell you all about Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. It is a show brought to you by Audio Animatronics, which is a big word. But believe you me, it is even harder to explain. But let me try. First of all, the resistor is connected to the capacitor. The capacitor is connected to the transformer. The transformer is connected to the toggle switch. The toggle switch connects to the antenna. The antenna connects to the control track. The control track connects to the bird brain. The bird brain connects to the tank. I blew a fuse. Blew a fuse. Blew a fuse. Turn me off. Blew a fuse. Blew a fuse. Turn me off. Thank you. is easy, you should try it sometime. You probably wonder why I am sitting, I mean roosting, arresting up here. It is because I am tired. I mean, it is because I want to tell you about Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. The show starts in just a few minutes. See? It is one show for you to see. 
One for you and everyone. Ah, ah. Inside, I say inside, you sit down on your tail feathers and watch the most exciting show in Disneyland. You see more than 200 flowers, tiggies, and all my relations. Those amazing birds, they come to life. For 17 minutes, no one takes a siesta, especially the audience. Wait till you hear the tiggies do the Hawaiian war chant. See, that is what everyone is saying about Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Get your passports, I mean, get your tickets right over here. Oh, 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 Aloha! Aloha! I do not know what that means, but I like the sound. Aloha! Come to the Tiki Room! Fly to the Tiki Room! Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room! This has been a recording. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, you have to put yourself back in time. People had never seen anything like this. I mean, it was just incredible to people at that time to see a bird moving and talking and, and, you know, and they could tell it wasn't a real bird because, again, it was that Mark Davis design that it had sort of a, a caricature look to it. So it obviously wasn't a real bird and people just stopped and stared at it in absolute amazement and it actually served its purpose. People were clamoring to get into the Enchanted Tiki Room once they saw that bird out front and they knew there was more amazing surprises to be found inside the Tiki Room. Yeah, 75 cents. <laughs> <laughs> I'd pay 75 cents to see the Tiki Room. <laughs> so anyway, the um, once you entered the turnstile of the Tiki Room, you found yourself in the Enchanted Tiki Garden, which was a holding area that you would stand in outside uh, before you would go into the main theater. And surrounding this whole area was a series of gods and goddesses who would come to life and tell their stories while you waited for the main show to begin. But before they began their portion of the pre-show, there was a film that was shown. There was a thatched roof above what is today known as the Dole Whip Bar, and the... Um, covering of the screen would rise up and there was a movie screen behind it and you would see a film called The Flavor of Hawaii Hawaii was born of volcanic action millions of years ago. Still active today, these volcanoes produce the rich soil which supports Hawaii's lush vegetation. Its rugged landscape is a reminder of the island's explosive origin. 
It's always springtime in Hawaii. With a rainbow of colors continually in bloom, visitors can appreciate the beauty of these islands anytime. And there's something else they can enjoy too. Pineapple, the flavor of Hawaii. King Kamehameha welcomes visitors to Honolulu, to Diamond Head, and Waikiki Beach to enjoy the sun, the surf, and the sand. Surfing, once reserved only for royalty, is one of the most challenging sports in the world. Perhaps one of the most dangerous, but certainly one of the most exciting. The flavor of Hawaii is also found in the exotic dances of many Polynesian cultures now native to these islands. But the flavor of Hawaii is best enjoyed in pineapple. Grown year-round and harvested by hand, it's transported to the Dole Cannery, the largest pineapple cannery in the world. The fruit is out of its shell and into the can within minutes. After shell and core are removed, the golden cylinders are inspected and trimmed. Skilled hands sort choicest slices. Luau, Hukilau, or just a family picnic. The flavor of Hawaii is refreshing in many forms, and Hawaiians really know how to enjoy it. Once so rare only kings could afford it, pineapple is now known as the king of fruits. Today it is the symbol of hospitality around the world. flavor of Hawaii, the beauty of Hawaii, the hospitality of Hawaii can all be summed up in one word, aloha. This was basically a commercial for the sponsor Dole Pineapple, who also sponsored the pineapple bar underneath the film. <laughs> and you could buy 
Dole Pineapple products, either from the outside of the Tiki Room on one side of the bar, or while you were in the holding area in the garden, and one of the, well, the menu included Pineapple Spears, which was kind of a, kind of like a kebab, like a shish kebab, but with pineapple on it, and pineapple juice, and is, am I missing anything, Ruth? I think you are, Chris. <laughs> Would it be the Dole Whip? Yes, the famous Disneyland treat, the Dole Whip. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> My stomach would not agree. It's yeah. Probably- yeah. <laughs> and actually, later, they added the Dole Whip float, which is my preferred version of the Dole Whip. Even though I love the original Dole Whip, the Dole Whip float is even better, to me at least. But that's where the original Dole Whips were served from, and they still are today. And... What's interesting is, though, Dole was not always the sponsor of the Tiki Room. Originally, there was no sponsor. Walt Disney was the sponsor. He owned it. It was his show. Again, that's another reason why it was called Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room and why there was a separate admission, because it was something Walt personally sponsored. So about a year in, they sought out a sponsor, and one of the sponsors that was um, courted was RCA but they turned it down and then they turned to United Airlines and this was a kind of a, a great tie-in because United Airlines was started having um, service flights to Hawaii around that time and so it was a great promotional tool uh, for their airline to be involved with the Tiki Room And they actually re-recorded a lot of the, um, not all of them, but several of the Tiki gods re-recorded their spiel during the pre-show to mention United Airlines in the actual pre-show. They call me Tongaroo, the East And I am Hina, goddess of rain. My gentle breezes warm the tropic isles of Hawaii. Far across the seven seas. Yet faster. Faster even than the wind. The soaring birds of United Airlines fly there too. And with extra care. Especially for you. Come. There's an island for you in Hawaii. Land of the warm wind, the sea, and me. Me, Rongo, god of agriculture. My land so good to me, I got time for sport. Me number one kite flyer. But me, like you, I want to fly. I see big jet, way up in sky. Smooth like big bird. Hawaii flight. Now me too fly United. Troy kite. Uamauke eaoka ainaika pono. 
And now, ladies and gentlemen, United Airlines invites you to come with us to a world of joyous songs and wondrous miracles. Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. So the original version didn't have any mention of United Airlines. Then about a year later, they added in the United Airlines version of the Tiki Garden. And then after United Airlines left, I think around 1970, they discontinued their sponsorship. They put back in the original Tiki Garden without the mention of the United Airlines. And then in 76, it wasn't until 76, Dole Pineapple came on board. And that's when they added the Dole Pineapple, the flavor of Hawaii film. But what's interesting is, even though Dole Pineapple wasn't the official sponsor, they still had the pineapple bar there from the beginning. And Dole Pineapple sponsored the the bar, but there was no, they didn't sponsor the actual attraction until 76. I, I found that to be kind of interesting because I didn't realize that. I thought that the Tiki Bar came in at the same time that Dole came in as the sponsor, but no, that bar was there before, and they were serving Dole Pineapple before Dole Pineapple was the sponsor. Yeah, and they also served something called Tonga Punch. Right, mm-hmm. They also served that same punch in the um, Tahitian Terrace. It, I think it was a fruit punch. Mm-hmm. So, Ruth did some research on the pre-show. And, like I said, the pre-show includes several tiki gods. And Ruth kind of did some studying up on what the actual origin stories are of these tiki gods. And she's going to talk about how the original stories differed from how they were used in the tiki room as we know it today and who is the person sort of in charge of the script and the whole project of the um, tiki garden Ruth? that was one of my favorite imagineers raleigh crumb and it's a really cute story so (laughs) which is actually the his the name of his book is it's kind of a cute story so i'm gonna give you one of the stories out of his book okay So when this Tiki Room was still going to be considered a restaurant, you know, he was, um, you know, part of the team that was putting this together. And Walt asked him to come up with these tikis in this area because this the front was going to be where people waited before they got seated into the restaurant. And he wanted to have tikis to be out there and telling stories. And so he didn't know how he was going to do that. So he ran to... um, Blaine Gibson and he's like Blaine I need you to sculpt some tiki's and Blaine was like I'm sorry Raleigh I, I'm too busy I can't do it right now you're good and you know and Raleigh was like well what do I do and he's like you're gonna have to do it and so and he's like well how do I get all this information and he's like go to the library so he went to the library and he got some books and he did his research and and you know he did got a couple of different books about like different legends and then also the looks of the tiki gods and so that's how he came up with the sculptures that you see today in the tiki garden i should mention that while the um, sculptures were definitely based on traditional tahitian art it was definitely given an american mid-century vibe 
and definitely had a Raleigh Crump signature. So even though it was based on the um, ancient idols, it was um, the Raleigh Crump interpretation of it. It wasn't a direct copy of it. It was the Disney-fied version. Right, right. And it's kind of also the same with the um, actual tiki gods that he chose. So where the whole thing with the Polynesian culture and the different mythologies, so Polynesia is actually a wide area of the Pacific Ocean, and that includes like hundreds of different island groups. And so like from Midway to Hawaii in the north, even New Zealand in the south, and the triangular area also includes Tahiti, Samoa, Tonga, the Cook Islands, and many other, you know, smaller islands in this whole area. So, right, don't forget about, Christmas Island. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about a huge area. So, and all of these islands are also separated. So, partly because of that, you know, they all have kind of slightly, they're similar, but not exactly the same, uh, different mythologies kind of around mm-hmm. these characters. Mm-hmm. So, We'll just go through them. So the first one that you see when you're in the garden is Maui. And the story in the attraction is he's the Polynesian trickster who gave people time and roped the playful sun. My name is Maui. Natives call me the mighty one. I tamed the playful sun and gave my people time. Now they set their clocks by mine, for I am Tropic Standard Time. And that is what I found as well. This is basically from Hawaii. And so he's considered a cultural hero and a trickster. And one of the stories that I found was that he tricked his brothers one day they went out to fish and he has a great fish hook kind of like Maui in the Moana movie he has a great big fish hook and what he did was he hooked the ocean floor but he told his brothers that was a big fish and he needed them to help paddle in as hard as they could and as they pulled what he ended up doing was pulling up the different Hawaiian islands Hmm. so he created the Hawaiian islands But the island Maui is not named directly after him. It's named after the person who discovered it, whose son was named Maui. Mm. So indirectly, it's named after this god. Mm. And apparently he's also the son of Hina, the goddess Hina. And he, there is a story too that where he, he actually decided to stop the sun from moving so fast because his mother was complaining that you know, she didn't have enough daylight and it was, you know, because back then in mythology, the sun just moved when it wanted to. So it would rise and then go down whenever it felt like it. Mm. And so because she was complaining about that, he lassoed the sun's rays using a rope that was made from his sister's hair. And he got the sun to agree that the daytime would be longer in the summer and shorter in the winter. Mm. So that's the story of Maui. 
And the statue that they have out front for now, I, I believe Raleigh Crump designed this statue without having any specific god in mind. And because he wanted to have, you know, if you've ever seen it, it the, it's got a bamboo stick and it squirts out water out of its nose and it fills up the bamboo and then it when it's filled it, it lowers down into the little pond below him it's pretty fat <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> right and and this is actually the original thing he based it on is actually a phallic thing and he was actually questioned about that and he kind of said oh no no it's the god of time because he couldn't tell Walt what it was actually based on, which was actually something that was kind of risque for a Disney attraction. Um, <laughs> so he kind of threw that out there on the fly. And then after he told Walt that, then he had to go back and find out who the god of time was for, for the Polynesia. <laughs> so the statue came before he decided who the statue represented. So who's next, Ruth? So the next one is Koro. And the story... Midnight Dancer. Yes. He's the Midnight Dancer under whose spell all ladies... Because I'm a Midnight Dancer. <laughs> a dancer for money. <laughs> Sorry. I have to. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> oh, boy. So who... The Midnight Dancer, whose spell all ladies and men learn to dance. Aloha, wahini me kyonimana. I am Koro, Midnight Dancer. Today my magic feet no move. My head sore. But last night, all tiki gods have big time. Sam luau. When drums begin to pound, my head full, big sound. When I was doing research up about this particular god, I think he just kind of made this up. So because I couldn't find right. any god uh, like a midnight Artistic dancer god. Artistic license. Exactly. Yes. So mm -hmm. Koro is actually so also known as Oro. Um, he's mm. the son of. Taroa and Hina, and he's the Tahitian god of war, who in times of peace became the god of fine arts. Mm. So, maybe the fine arts... <laughs> what a contrast. Yeah. Maybe fine arts connects with dancing a little bit. I don't well, know. Well, maybe war does, because war drums. Right. And he's kind of like more than music is in the way he's presented in Disneyland. He's more about a drum beat, so maybe it was like a war drum kind of a connection. I'm just trying to think about what Raleigh Crump's logic was. Right. That's yeah. I know. That's a we have to do that for a couple of other ones too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so the next one is Tangaroa Ru. Mm. So also known as Mapui Kaufunga in Maori tales. She is the goddess of the east wind, which brings rain. They call me Tangaroaru, the east wind. 
And I am Hina, goddess of rain. We often travel together, wind and rain, through tropic lands across the seven seas. Come closer, so that you may see what magic there is in fantasy. So that's the story in the garden. Mm. Now, I had a hard time actually finding that even under the other name, I couldn't find a god with either name. Mm. So I, but I did find a god called Ru. Mm. And in Tahitian mythology, this god is known as the transplanter who mm. raised the sky from the earth. And his sister is Hina. Mm. And when he's observing the world, he marked the boundaries. So he was... He was like in a canoe with, with Hina and they were um, trying to figure out where they were going to sail. And so he just, as he was looking out, he marked the boundaries like east, west, north, and south and gave them Hawaiian names. And then in New Zealand, Ru is also known as the earthquake god. Hmm. So not the same thing. Also, this is a god, not a goddess. And Tangaroa hmm. Ru in the garden is a goddess. So... Hmm. I'm not exactly sure where that translates. The only other thing that I could think of was that, so we'll get to Tangaroa in a minute. That's the father of all gods and goddesses. But in that story, Tangaroa creates other gods. Mm -hmm. And so, and he created a god called Ru. So I was kind of wondering if maybe it was kind of like a first name, last name kind of thing, like Tangaroa Ru. Like they mm -hmm. were kind of, you know, linked the names together. Mm -hmm. So... I didn't find any research that substantiates my theory. That's just my thoughts. Mm -hmm. So the next one is Hina Kulua. And in the garden, she is the Hawaiian mistress of rain from Hilo, Hawaii. And her daughter is Hina, the mother of the trickster Maui, which I did say he was the son of Hina. And so here, the name Kulua in the Hawaiian mythology is the god of the fishermen. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking also her name, Hina Kalua, it's also a last name kind of a thing. So she is the goddess of fishermen. And she's somehow, depending on your mythology, she's either the elder sister, the wife, or the mother of Maui, depending on where you know you are. And she's also known as the goddess of the moon. And it, it is said that she becomes tired of living... When she becomes tired of living in, in the crowd, she flees to the moon. Sounds like a good idea to me. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't find any connection to Rain, so... Mm. I, get, I don't know where he got that. The next one is Chris's favorite. Oh. Pele, the goddess of fire and volcanoes. And she likes to torment her neighbor, Nagende. I am Pele, goddess of fire and volcanoes. Some say I torment poor Nagende, the earth balancer. For when my violent temper rises, the earth trembles on its foundation. Legends say I'm balancing the earth. 
but sad to say, I'm just hanging on. I'm the one who's really sad. When I smile, it comes out mad. So that is who I found. Yes, she's the goddess of fire, lightning, wind, and volcanoes. And she is a well-known deity in Hawaiian mythology Uh and a, a very enduring figure. And it's said that she lives in the Kalea Volcano. And she's also known as the goddess of the hula. So, the next god is Ngende. And in the garden, he's from Fiji. He's the creator of all the gods. He's also got a big job as balancer of the whole world. That pressure combined with the torment he suffers from Pele. It's no wonder there's an earthquake every time he moves. And that is exactly what I found as well. In the Fiji Islands... He causes earthquakes, fertility and sterility and fire, and he's also the creator of the gods, Earth, and according to some island groups, he also created humans. He's the supporter of the world, and every time he moves, we have an earthquake. One thing that was kind of unusual is they consider him, he's half snake and half rock. Mm. So I don't know what the significance of that is, but that's not what the tiki god looks like in the garden. Well, so that's incredibly useful. (laughs) Half snake, half rock, what? (laughs) Yeah, those are like the two worst things to balance the earth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right, so we have two more. The next one is Rango, the god Mm. of agriculture. Mm -hmm. And he's also known as Lano in Hawaii and is also the provider of food. And he discovered electricity naturally. Me, Rongo, god of agriculture. My land so good to me, I got time for sport. I fly kite. Me, number one kite flyer. Too bad. I no have key. Then me, I find electricity. I didn't find anything about the electricity, but yes, he has. Yeah, he's probably also... not in ancient Polynesia. Right. <laughs> as far as I know, they didn't have electricity, but I could be wrong. But Right, because it seems like in the show, it's similar to like Ben Franklin, how he discovered electricity with like a kite. Yeah, he's got kites. Yeah. Yeah. So. Number one kite flyer. Yeah. He is the god of agriculture, and he's one of the four gods who existed before the world began. And he brings rain and dispenses fertility. A lot of gods are are involved in fertility. I know, yeah. <laughs> in the Maori mythology, he's the twin brother of Tangaroa, and he's a major god that helps plants grow in difficult areas. Hmm. So, the last one. Last but not least is Tangaroa, the father of all gods and goddesses. I am Tangaroa, father of all gods and goddesses. Here in this land of enchantment, I appear before you as a mighty tree. Stand back! Oh, mystic powers, hear my call. From my limbs, let new life fall. 
And he took the form of a tree in the garden. So they just kind of use that as a way to show that he's the father of gods and goddesses um, mm -hmm. in the garden. There's, he has a couple of names in the different mythologies. So there's Tangaroa, Kanaloa, and there's also Ta'aroa. Mm -hmm. So um, he, he's also known as the god of the sea and one of the oldest Polynesian deities. Mm. And in the French Polynesian mythology, he was alone in his shell and he was bored. So he cracked the shell and used the pieces to create the world. And he used parts of himself to create the mountains, oceans, animals, and trees. And he's also created other gods, including Tain, Ru, Hina, and Maui. And in another area, in the Society Islands, which is like Tahiti as part of the, that island group, the priests elevated the god Ta'aroa, from the role of sea god to the god responsible for creating the world. And one explanation for why they did this was because the chiefs and the members of the noble rank could trace their lineage to this god. So they elevated him from sea god to creator of all. So that's kind of a little bit of background of the different gods that you can find in the garden. Now who did their voices, Ruth? Well... Ernest Tavares, who was a Hawaiian musician, did the voice of Maui, Nagende, Koro, and Rongo. Ginny mm -hmm. Tyler, who is has a Disney background, she's kind of you know involved in the Mouseketeers, although not in a, in the original group. She was involved in the syndicated version from the '60s. Right. Uh, she did the voice of Pele and Tangaroa Ru. She was also uh, did a lot of narration on uh, story uh, Disneyland records. So you'll recognize her voice if you ever listen to those. Anne Essex did the voice of Hina Kalua, which apparently she's been involved in other Disney projects, but I couldn't find out which one. Right. And then, of course, the voice of Tangaroa is none other than the Thurl Ravenscroft. Mm-hmm. So we should mention kind of some of the Tiki gods actually do things when their turn comes up. It kind of goes around the whole garden. Each one takes a turn, tells their story. Of course, Maui, like we mentioned before, has that water feature going on, but that kind of goes on all the time. Um, it doesn't start and stop when he's talking. It it just continuously does that all day. But after he talks, then Rongo talks. He doesn't really do anything. But then um, the goddess of uh, rain and um, wind, the, those two, mm -hmm. Tangaroa Ru and Fina, uh, water comes out of the top of Fina. And Tangaroa Ru has a, um, like a little bird thing on top of her head and the the wings spin around mm -hmm. to represent the wind and then um pele has fire come out of her hat and um Ngendi, the earth balancer he kind of rocks back and forth 
And then Rongo doesn't move, but after um, Tongaroa begins, he says, stand back. He says an incantation, and there are lily-looking, like, flower things in the tree, and these little tiki statues fall down and spin around, kind of like mobiles, out of his you know, tree branches. Yes. From my limbs, let new life, new life fall. fall. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I'm loving these voices. <laughs> so after the whole tiki garden thing happens, and it ends with um, the grand finale of Tongaroa, the announcer comes on, who is also Ernest Tavares. Yeah, he's the same person that did several of the gods. He welcomes you to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room and reminds you that there is no smoking or flash photography because the birds are extremely temperamental and easily upset. <laughs> Which I always found to be a little kind of interesting way yeah. <laughs> to say if you don't do this, the birds are going to poop on you. So. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, a small reminder before entering the Tiki Room. We ask you to refrain from smoking inside, and please do not carry any food or drink into the tiki room. And oh yes, no flashbulbs, please. Our performers are temperamental and easily upset. Thank you for your cooperation. And now, ladies and gentlemen, come with us to a world of joyous songs and wondrous miracles. Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. So then you hear a, a gong and the doors automatically swing open and you are invited to enter the main show. And inside the main show, you would find a hostess. Originally, it was always a female. And this is why Jose says, Buenos dias, senorita, because the person who woke up Jose was a female. Tell us about how that happens, Ruth, how the show begins. Well, before the birds actually start, there is a cast member who kind of, you know, introduces the show a little bit. And I don't think they really have a script. They probably do have a script, but, you know, they allow people to kind of go off of the script. Right. I think probably in the early days it was more you had to follow an exact mm -hmm. script, and, but now it's a little bit more like relaxed. Loose. Yeah. 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 Especially because one of the people who often does this part of the show is someone who really goes off script. <laughs> right. Yes. So this Disneyland cast member is one of the most popular cast members, and his name is Maynard. And mm -hmm. he's known for hosting the Tiki Room and also hosting the Haunted Mansion. Right. And he is extremely committed to his role. So when he right. is there introducing the Tiki Room, he is in character and very over the top, but very funny and very, mm -hmm. and it makes the attraction extremely fun. Right. And he's known for his guest interaction and he interacts with the guests like that as well. So he yeah. is, he is on stage. When he is yeah. is um, doing performer. his thing. Yeah. Yeah. So 
you know, he'll do a spiel and, you know, it may be, you know, four or five minutes before he actually starts the show. I know. He goes on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I watched a video of it and it's pretty funny. And and I don't think that if you saw him two times, it wouldn't be the same thing. He would be doing no. different things each time. Yeah. So how the show starts is a host or a hostess will go up to Jose and, you know, like tap. Yeah, they have a stick. Yeah. And they tap on his perch and wake him up. And that's how it starts. Oh, buenos dias, senorita. My siestas are getting shorter and shorter. Oh, look at all the people. And welcome to Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. Hey, Michael, mi amigo, pay attention, it's Joe time. So it is. And what darling people I have sitting under me. Pierre, you rascal, you. Let's put on the show. Mon ami, I am always ready, as you say, to put on the show. <whistles> oh, pardon, madame. That whistle was for my good friend, Fritz. Ach, to lieber, I almost fell out of my upper perch. Uh, glad to see you all aboard. Uh, sure, or <laughs> wherever you are. My goodness, you're all staring at us. We better start the show rolling. Wait, wait. We forgot to wake up the Glee Club. Right, and so like I said, the reason why he says senorita is because originally they always had only female hostesses start the show. And then later on when they started having males also start the show, they would always say, and don't call me senorita. And yeah. I always thought that was like, just don't even, I mean, nobody's going to notice, so just don't even <laughs> say it. Yeah, they turned it into a joke. Yeah, and it's yeah. not a good joke, so just <laughs> don't even mention it. I mean, maybe he's not saying it to him. Maybe he's looking at one of the people in the audience and saying it. I mean, <laughs> right. it would be better without it. But that being said, so Buenos Dias, Senorita. That's how the show begins. And it's Jose, and like we mentioned, that would be the one, the only, Wally Bogue. And Wally Bogue, for those who don't know, was also... Uh, one of the main staples of the live show in Frontierland, The Golden Horseshoe. Famous for his comedy routine as a traveling salesman and maker of balloon animals. And also he played Pecos Bill in that show. So, again, he was the main scriptwriter. And then they went around. See, when you first enter the theater, everything is kind of like dimly lit, so you can't really make out all the details of everything you're seeing, and you just came out from the sunshine, so your eyes are still adjusting. And then the room goes completely black. You know, they turn out all the lights, and all you see is a spotlight on Jose. So then it goes around to the four MC birds who are all surrounding the fountain in the middle. So there's, you know, four making a circle in the center of the room. So Jose introduces the other birds one at a time, and they have their little comedy routine spiel to kind of get the show going. So Jose is a Mexican bird, and apparently this the coloring of the birds, and this I didn't realize until I did some research on this, the coloring of the bird's feathers is actually tied into the the country the flags of the country that they're representing so jose has green white and red feathering to represent the mexican flag and the french bird pierre who is voiced by an actor named ernie newton 
who kind of does a Marie Chevalier impersonation. His feathers are red, white, and blue to represent the French flag. And then, Fritz, who is voiced by who, Ruth? Thurl Ravenscroft. Right. And he's a German bird. Ach du lieber! Right. His feathers are the colors of the German flag. And then last but not least, Michael, who is the Irish bird. His feathers are green, white, and orange to represent the um, the Irish flag. He's the Irish bird. Now, the person who voiced Michael is who, Ruth? That's Fulton Burley, and he was also a cast member in at the Golden Horseshoe Review, alongside right. Wally Bogue. Right. And another claim to fame is he provided for many years the narration aboard the sailing ship Columbia attraction. In the days of wooden ships... And Iron Men. (laughs) (laughs) I love that line. Journey with us now, just as our hardy forefathers did in the days of wooden ships and Iron Men. Who kind of filled out the rest of the cast, Ruth, as far as voice actors in the show? So there's a couple of other people. So other birds, and then particularly the male singing voice was Bill Lee, and he's known for singing uh, the song Cruella de Vil from 101 Dalmatians. Right, he did the singing voice of Roger Radcliffe. Yeah, so he kind of provides that that Bing Crosby smoother voice. Right, right. In the so show. he kind of he kind of filled in with the singing where the four regular people couldn't really didn't have the singing chops. Yeah. The flowers, so during the show, which we're going to talk about, there is a flower that comes out, kind of pops the head up, like a larger size flower pops their head out of the middle planter, and it's a high-pitched singing voice, and that voice is actually provided by Norma Zimmer, who was the champagne lady on the Lawrence Welk show. Right, she was the second champagne lady after the first champagne lady left because she there was a dispute over her pay and so Norma Zimmer came in in 1960 and remained the official champagne lady of the Lawrence Welk Orchestra until the orchestra retired and um, not only did she provide the voice of that flower but when the Hawaiian war chant starts and you hear that really high pitched kind of wailing it's like yeah That's her too. She had an yeah. amazing, amazing <laughs> vocal range. Yeah, like, very high. Incredible. Yeah, yeah, very high. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, Clarence Ducky Nash, actually, the voice of Donald Duck, provided several of the um, whistles and chirps of the various birds. Hmm. And two other people who did bird noises were Maurice Marcelino and Marin Darlington. I also have uh, Dallas McKinnon provided additional sounds and voices. Yes, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. And then who did the chanting? The tiki chanters. I know Ernest Tavares provided the, some of the chanting. I don't think he did right. all of it, but yeah. Right, right. And so, that's kind of a rundown of all the vocal talent involved in Walt Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Well, I hope everybody enjoyed part one of the Enchanted Tiki Room. Because we went on, because we had a lot to say about the Tiki Room, we decided to split it up into two episodes. So this is 97A, and in just a few days from now, we will be releasing part two of the episode. It'll be 97B. And in part two, we will be taking you through the entire show of the Tiki Room, scene by scene, and discussing it in minute detail. So, Wendell, thank you so much for being a guest again on our show. Thank you. Yes, and you're always welcome back anytime, especially on the next episode, 97B. <laughs> You'll be here, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll try and be, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So where can everybody find you on the WWW? Well, they can find me as a part of Sideshow Sound Theatre. You can go to our website, sideshowsoundtheatre.com, T-H-E-A-T-R-E. You will find lots of interviews with film composers and actors and writers. You will find our podcast, uh, of which there are many episodes and many more to come. Uh, and then you can also find uh, Will and Ice, my co-founder of the company. You can find our Halloween music. And we will be releasing our new pirate album called The mm. Wraith uh, this Halloween. So look for that. Har, Har, <laughs> To be sure. And Ruthie, where can everybody find the Queen of the Crickets on <laughs> <laughs> on the web. I'm the co-host of a podcast along with my daughter where we watch and then discuss the Disney made-for-TV movies from the 80s called the Disney Sunday Movie Podcast. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Twitter, and Facebook, and our website is DisneySundayMoviePodcast.com. I'm also on Facebook. I'm Ruthie Brown. You can find me on Twitter at DisneyChris73. On Facebook, I'm Chris Linden. That's L-Y-N-D-O-N, as in Lyndon Johnson. I have a website called DisneyChris.com, home of the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour. And my YouTube channel is also DisneyChris.com, spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. And on there, I post a bi-weekly-ish uh, update of the Disneyland Magical Audio Tour, as well as past episodes of this show. So, Ruthie, where can everybody find Jiminy Crickets on the web? You can find all of our past shows on our website at jcricketpodcast.blogspot.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes at Jiminy Crickets, that's with an exclamation point, and be sure to leave us a five-star review. You can also email us your comments or questions at jiminycricketspodcast at gmail.com. And join our new Facebook page, Jiminy Crickets Podcast. Wendell. Do you have any final words for today? I do. Thank you so much for listening. Um, goodbye for now. Hope to see you all again soon. Yes, we'll see you on side B, on the flip side. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and flip the tape now. <laughs> and Ruth, do you have any final words for today? I do. Just letting everybody know, no gods were angered during the making of this podcast. Aloha! And always let your conscience be your guide. When your heart is in your dream, no request is too 